Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Yvette. Focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally Yours. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette and this week we're chatting to Kingsley Simmons. He's a personal trainer, former soldier and the winner of a community award for mental health work. It's a local business award organised by Leeds United and Cadbury. We're going to be chatting about the military, fitness and PTSD. So Kingsley, first of all, how's the past year um, been for you in general? Because it's, you know, obviously been a, an awful one. Yeah, um, the past year has not been, too, it's been, well, it's been challenging for all of us, I, I think, obviously, with the current uh, situation, lockdown and stuff. Um, but as a whole, um, I've not been too bad, just been keeping busy, keeping active, keeping my mind ha- active and obviously my body as well, you know, so um, getting those endorphins, trying to help people like be stronger, both mentally and physically. Um, so yeah I've been quite busy. How have you found it in terms of your mental health? So when I was in the army obviously I did all the, I had all the treatments when I when I subject to the trauma so like for me now personally I I quite I'm quite a positive person so I haven't really been struggling uh, mentally per se uh, myself um, as I said you know I've, I've more been focusing on trying to help others that have been struggling which is obviously a lot of obviously my clients um, and family members. You mentioned in there though um, the trauma and was here to sort of talk a bit about um, your time in the army and also um, PTSD. Um, let's start from the beginning um, can we? You, you started in the army and you served in both Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about um, why you made that sort of career choice in the first place, um, what it was like and how it affected uh, your mental health in general? Yeah um, so like I joined the army in 1999 um, and the main reason behind it was um, 
I, I was I was doing well at school, um, but I, ultimately I didn't um, leave with the grades that um, I set out to get, and that was due to obviously my myself and my choices, the crowd that I fell into at the time. Growing up where I grew up in Leeds, it was it's quite rough, um, and opportunities were very sparse. So I made the decision to I wanted to get away from the area and try and do a little bit something else with my life. Um, so I made the decision to join the army. When I first passed out, um, done all my training, completed, I went out to Northern Ireland, which was my first tour. And when I joined the army back then, it was like, it was different, you know. Um, I felt like I was a young lad, obviously. Um, been through all the training, it was time to put it into practice. And I felt like I was in the A-team sort of thing, because that's what it was like. We was in Northern Ireland, there was no real threat. However, it um, we was like on helicopters, um, stop and searching vehicles back on the helicopters, you know. So it, it was quite um, an enjoyable tour. Uh, fast forward to when I went out to Iraq in 2005 and obviously the game changed. I didn't have really have any political views. As I said, I just joined the army um, for a job and to escape where I was at the time. But yeah, um, that was the first real experience that I'd had in a proper war fighting zone, shall we say, um, where the threat was real. And obviously it was a high hostile, tense environment. The first lost death that I witnessed um, was in Iraq. Um, and a friend of mine, um, Anthony Wakefield, was killed out there on a patrol that we was on. And I think really that's when it hit home, like it was real, you know, and what we'd actually, all the training that we'd gone up to, to that point led us to there um, to be able to deal with those situations. Um, what the do- all the training in the world doesn't give you is the training to deal with how you feel after, you know, those situations have arose. Um, but that was Iraq, Afghanistan. Um, I'd, I did two tours in Afghanistan. The first tour was a winter tour. Um, so the threat is a little less, it's a little less intense, shall we say. We were still under contacts like shooting, shootings um, quite frequently. Um, but what was different in Iraq, Iraq, they'd shoot and scoot, shall we say. So they'd fire a few shots and they'd, they'd disappear um, or they'd fire rockets in direct, or in direct rocket attacks and then they'd leave. Whereas in Afghanistan, they was like bringing the fight to you and they stood the ground, you know. So it was, a, it was more of a war fighting scenario in Afghanistan. The first tour, obviously, which I had in 2007, um, as I said, it was a winter tour. So they're, they're a little less mobile because of the elements. In Afghanistan, it goes from extreme heat to then extreme, like, in the minuses, you know. So, um, yeah, it's difficult for them to operate. Um, but, yeah, so th- there was one explosion in Afghanistan but di- and the, on the first tour, and obviously we was in quite a lot of contacts, ticks, uh, which is troops in contact. Um, but it wasn't anything prolonged. Um, it wasn't a prolonged, intense, you know, as my second tour was. Uh, which was later in 2009, uh, where I went out attached to the Welsh Guards. Um, that tour was that really hit home. That was that was a game changer for me. Um, they actually wrote a book about it called Dead Men Risen, um, because I think in that time period, that six month time period, we lost the amount of the most amount of British troops since the Falklands in any six month conflict. Um, I also we also lost the Welsh Guards commanding officer, um, Colonel Rupert Thornlow, um, who was in 
my vehicle on one of the explosions that we endured. Um, as I said, that tour was a summer tour, so it was really intense. The um, the Taliban obviously up there, and they're a lot more mobile. Um, and yeah, it was constant daily ta- daily contacts. Um, but the main threat was obviously the IEDs, um, improvised explosive device. Um, and we were hit a number of times. Myself, I was involved in uh, two direct um, explosions where our vehicles were immobilized. Um, one of which resulted in the death of two colleagues, one being Colonel Fawnlow and the second being Trooper Joshua Hammond. Um, as I say, they was in the same vehicle as me. There was other people that was injured uh, severely um, and life-changing injuries. Um, unfortunately, I don't know how, but someone was. I felt like someone was looking over uh, me for me and a couple of the other guys that escaped um, with minor injuries or uninjured. Um, but yeah, um, I think at the time as well, obviously I was a commander out there, so I was in charge of men. Um, you don't really, cause it's my job to inspire men and to deal with the situations, to keep the guys going and to, you know, um, deal with any scenario or situation that, that arises. Um, so you don't really get time to process what's happened at the time. It's later on, uh, when you go through the after action reviews, I mean, you're speaking to the rest of the guys as to how they are, um, how they're dealing with the loss of, obviously, colleagues, comrades, um, and um, and then moving past that, trying to help them move past that to try and motivate and encourage them to go back out on the ground again and put themselves in that direct line. Um, again, is quite was quite challenging, um, you know, because at times, like, I didn't want to, I felt like I didn't want to, I would always do it because obviously it was my job, but at times inside, and I didn't really speak to anyone about this, you know, I was apprehensive about going out myself again or wanting to, but I knew obviously it's what I had to do um, as a leader and a commander in order for my men to, to be a, do the same, basically. It's funny because when we was out there, I was um, blown up on the 1st of July, which obviously resulted in the death of um, the two former colleagues that I, I, uh, mentioned earlier but then was blown up on the 1st of August as well and I remember being medevaced to the because it's the same medical station where you go in Afghanistan and the doctors were all saying well they was making a joke trying to lighten their mood saying I'll see you on the 1st of September and I was like you you what this is not a chance but um but yeah I feel I was quite fortunate to come away from that tour you know unharmed should I say um but with no physical injuries but obviously the mental scars were there, you know, which I didn't really come to light until obviously after we'd returned back to the UK. There's a lot to deal with. Obviously, you've got that and you've got your job to do with, but obviously there's the 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 elements of a factor as well, you know, that put strain on guys and being tired, dehydrated, you know. Um, but yeah, they're all contributing factors, which it takes its toll ultimately um, on the guys when they're out there. Yeah, I mean, what was it? What was it like day to day, just sort of getting through that? And did you have any support, or had you been given any specific uh, training around that? No, day to day, day to day, you just you know you take each day as it comes. Um, you know, you've got a recock, reload, and realign, and just whatever tasks or mission you've got, you know, you've got to pick yourself up, brush yourself off, and just crack on with it. Um, I don't think, well, no, you don't get no. There's people like the Padres, which are like vicars or priests, um, that do from time to time fly into different 
fobs, which is forward operating bases, you know, to speak to the troops if there's been something severe, like really bad that's happened. But that doesn't happen for every death, obviously, and it only happens now and then. And I'm not sure it quite helps anyone. Um, I think out, so out there, you don't really, the Galads just speak to each other and they have this, um, you know, once you've, you've got past the initial shock and processed what has happened, then you just need to distract yourself. So the guys are quite good at encouraging and motivation, you know, distracting yourselves from thinking about it um, by making, you know, having the dark humour, shall we say. Um, but for me, I felt like I switched, I had to switch off my emotions when I was out there. Um, and then when you come back, um, they have called decompression training. Now, decompression training, I'm not sure what it's like now in the army, but for me, uh, back then, it wasn't enough. Um, so the flyer, once you finish your operational tour, they fly you out to uh, Cyprus and you're there for two or three days. Um, and you have various talks and discussions with uh, welfare service, um, the Padres, like I said before, which is the religious side of thing. And let's speak about how your families, um, how things may have changed, how your families may be slightly different, you know, because they've got used to being without you being there uh, for the six months um, and fitting back into into it. Um, but I think it's it's brief and it's it's not really in depth and it doesn't it divulge too much into the trauma that anyone had experienced or been through, you know, so there wasn't counselling given to anyone who 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 had been through really, tra- well, which was the majority really. Someone had always been, like you would not go on tour and not at some point during that tour be witness or part of something which is obviously traumatic, especially on that tour. Um, when I came back, um, I thought I was okay. Um, as I come back, I went out with the Welsh Guards and the Coaching Guards went out on the tour. So they took over, which is what I was in, the Coaching Guards. They took over as I was going back, which wasn't initially planned. Otherwise, I would have held back and gone out with my battalion. Um, so when I come back, it was just rear parties down at, in Windsor Barracks. Um, so after I returned from the Welsh Guards, I was then given a posting up at Harrogate as an instructor. Uh, training junior soldiers, recruits. Um, it's when I was there, really, I found like that the that that there was some underlying issues and stuff that I needed to deal with. Um, as you know, I was I was going about my day. I was still conducting myself and performing my duties as per, and that's why I think people were struggling to to realize that there was something wrong with me. Um, it started out, I was having quite bad dreams and nightmares. I was struggling to sleep, um, to the point where I was just watching TV and trying to, you know, until I physically drained myself and I, and I fell asleep. So I decided to, um, go to the doctors. Um, the doctor, he, he obviously went through a few things with me because the doctor, I, I wanted sleeping tablets basically to help me sleep. Um, and the doctors obviously want to get to the bottom of the problem and, he did that. He asked me a series of questions and he suggested that um, I went for some counselling and a review uh, with a psychiatrist. So I did that and that really set the ball rolling um, to then get the treatment that I I needed. Because um, like I say, my peers, no one, I was, I was in the top third of all the instructors. So I was performing my job to a high standard. It was when I was doing like battle simulations 
So like re- recreating certain scenarios for the soldiers to deal with. But then I was finding myself not zoning out per se, but like having flashbacks. And, and then on the night times, I was having really bad dreams and stuff as well. So I was waking up and I was in a sweaty mess. Uh, and then my heart, when I did wake up and they woke me up, I was like, my heart was racing. I was dripping in sweat and I was trying to like calm myself down, you know, to tell myself that I wasn't there and everything was all right. Um, and then I went on to have the treatment, um, which was, I think I, I had EMDR, which is, um, it's eye movement desensitization, reprocessing. So it, it helps you to process, obviously, and what the traumatic events that you've you've been through and experienced um and the best way that obviously it was explained to me was um like your brain is is a computer or filing system shall we say it's experienced it but it's still there i've not processed it and stored it and that's what was obviously causing me to continuously you know have these dreams and and like zoning out sort of thing when I was in these um, recreating these battle scenarios and simulations, I found it hard at the time because you don't want to, as a man as well, you don't do well in about speaking about your problems, especially mental health. Like in the army, at the time it was coming to light, but it was it's it's still like there was always this thing in the army, and it stems from when you know physical activity is obviously a key part in the army and keeping your fitness levels up and you have to pass certain tests throughout the year. Um, the tests are quite challenging, especially for the infantry, even more so. Uh, so people used to fake injuries or fall over on runs. Um, and as a result, what happened, obviously the instructors knew, but as soon as someone says they had a back injury or something like that, then you couldn't prove them wrong. So what used to happen, people who used to go sick used to get put on duty. So you'd lose your weekends and get put on guard, for instance. Um, so then guys that were genuinely ill or had a problem, unless it was somewhat visual, you, your leg was in a cast or you just wouldn't go sick because you wouldn't want to lose your weekends. Um, so I think it stems like way back from, from that, that, you know, going sick was a sign of weakness, shall we say. Um, and then out of military life, I think civilian life, I think with guys, guys just struggle to talk, you know, I think it's better that they are now, you know, and, and it's helping um, to do that. Because if I'd have just bottled it up and I hadn't spoke to someone, I think I think I would have suffered, like, quite a lot, you know, myself. I, w- I would be in a dark place right now. What are your feelings now towards the army in general? I mean, are you um, – because obviously you said at the start <laughs> it was really exciting – as a young man, you know, you've got to travel, you've got to do lots of exciting things, obviously probably make a lot of really great friends. Are you still glad that you joined? Um, or, or, yeah, what are your thoughts on it in general now? Yeah, no, I am. The Army was a great career. I was good at what I did and I thoroughly enjoyed it. it um, it's just at the time I decided to leave because obviously I had children and I'd been that lucky that many times. I just thought to myself, you know, whoever's watching over me or whatever reason I've been like, you know, so lucky today, I must be destined for somewhere, you know, more or to help someone. Um, so I decided um, whilst I was out in Afghanistan, that I was going to leave the army. But 
I'd said that throughout my career, my five-year point, my eight-year point, my 12-year point, and I never did, you know, because obviously I loved the job and I loved the guys and the camaraderie. I've been to Australia playing football. I've been skiing, you know, in Australia and stuff. So it does give you so many great opportunities and opportunities that I'd never come across or I wouldn't have had if had I not joined the Army. It also teaches you, like, you know, some core values and how to appreciate, like, the smallest things in life like cold water <laughs> drinking lots of hot water in Afghanistan and you know running shower and, and stuff like that people things that people take for granted um, on a day-to-day basis um, but yeah I don't regret my time in the army um, I do miss it um, and the guys obviously more so but some of the friendships and the bonds that I made you know will last for life I'm in contact with a lot of people um, mm. and in different groups as well um, one thing that I have noticed, obviously, since uh, leaving, a lot of my friends have committed suicide, uh, which is obviously, you know, it's, it's, I don't even know what the word is, what I want to use to describe it. But yeah, it's, it, you know, and it, it pains me to see that they obviously got to a point where they thought, you know, there was no help or there was no light at the end of the tunnel. Because, um, Wherever we know or any of my friends, you know, we're always there to help and support. Uh, one of my friends, he left, um, but it was after he left that he, you know, the PTSD came to light, shall we say. So he didn't mm. get that help and support from the army. Um, he had to go through the civilian channels, but he was, at that point, he was already drinking heavily. Um, I went to see him because I hadn't seen him for a while and I seen he he'd got a new place, but he was sleeping on a mattress on the floor. There was no carpet. There was no nothing. Me and some of the other lads in Leeds, we all pulled together once it would, had been highlighted. We got him carpets, we got him sofas, TV, everything kitted his flat out for him. But like he just, he will stop drinking. Do you know, he gets an army pension and when he gets his pension, he goes off the rails like with alcohol and drugs because for him that's how he's coping blocking things out and stuff but obviously you speak to him and he'll he knows what he's saying so he's saying in mind he's just choosing to you know take that path because the help's been there and, and he can like you know cut the, the drugs and the alcohol out because he does do it for weeks on end and we've got him a job and stuff but then you know he just reverts back to, to that so some people you know it's a choice for him and I think not saying him, but I know some people use their illness or condition as an excuse to justify what they choose to do. Whereas others, obviously, that do engage, and and that's not everyone, and that's just my, you know, opinion. And others where they are open and honest, and depending on what they want and the support work network around them, the friends, the family, you know, going through the treatment. I think obviously it's really beneficial and it can really change your life around, you know, if you want to yourself, which is key, I think. Yeah. First of all, I'm really sorry um, for your loss with your friends. Um, and it's it's sad also to sort of hear about your friend with the sort of, with the drinking and stuff, but it's not a new story for us, sort of all this podcast to hear about. And it does tend to be more men than women, but also women, um, sort of dealing with difficult emotions by, you know, turning to um, alcohol or rather than necessarily um, directly asking for help. 
I mean, it's yeah. really interesting to me that you were you still have you're still very positive about the army overall because I have to say I do. It does sound like you've been through quite a lot of trauma in terms of the things you've seen and had to do as well, and the way you've had to sort of support other people while you were in a position of you know authority and stuff. Um, do you think it's possible yeah. to be part of the military and not sort of come out with some sort of trauma? Like, and do you think that what do you think the military needs to do to support people better? Um, I'd, it depends on on obviously what you're um, exposed to. Um, I would say the majority of people that have been in a in a contact a hostile um, war zone probably have underlying issues, whether they want to admit them to themselves or not. Um, it's battles that they'll have to, that they'll probably deal with themselves. Those that don't ask for help can probably manage that them manage the problems that they have by themselves. Um, and those that can obviously ultimately hopefully uh, seek help and advice. Um, if you had any mental, I can't foresee the military allowing you to join if you've got mental health issues, um, just because of obviously the use of, of firearms and stuff like that. Um, so I think it'd be very difficult for someone with, with mental health or that's had mental health problems. And I think this is key because it really does restrict you and limit you. If you've had PTSD, but then you've gone through the treatment and had it managed, it shouldn't still then stop you from progressing or being allowed certain opportunities in life, you know, um, which I think it does massively. So that needs addressing. I think I'm not sure what the army offer now, but I did have a plan. Um, obviously, I'm a, I'm a fitness instructor and personal trainer now. I think when you join the army, you go through all this training, you know, to, to train you so that you are ready for war fighting zone should the occasion arise. But I think what they need to do, and I did, I did, I even wrote up a plan. I think there needs to be something like for your exit strategy for when you leave the army. Um, whereas you go through a certain process, which is lengthy, uh, which offers you, or it's not, it's not an option. You have to take part in it. Do you know, like you have to complete basic training. You should have to go through um, some sort of enhanced program that makes sure that you've got no underlying mental health issues and if you have they're addressed and the help and support is given so I think once you leave the army you are just a number you know um the people that remember you obviously that are still in the army that you, you joined with or signed up but once they go obviously they're gone and again I think they're just a number you know um so yeah I think they need to do more uh, for the extra strategy for every serving armed forces member. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That sounds like I a great idea. Physical it. fitness. Yeah, yeah. I think physical fitness as well. It's for me. It's the most underutilized antidepressant ever. Because no matter how you're feeling, if you go outside, you get some fresh air. Whether you want to, it might. It's true. Don't get me wrong. Because I've been in this situation myself where I just didn't want no interaction with anyone and going outside or speaking to someone was the worst thing. Like it gave me anxiety thinking about that. Um, but once you are outside and you go on a walk or you go for a jog to clear your mind, it really gives you some clarity and obviously you get the endorphins flowing through your body, you know, and you instantly feel better. Even if it's just for a short period of time, you instantly feel better. So, and I think this needs to be promoted. So mental and physical health, it goes hand in hand, you know, because if you feel good, after that 
ultimately it has a positive effect on your mindset mm. you know yeah since leaving the army you've kind of uh, reinvented yourself as a fitness guru um and is that how did that all come about was that sort of inspired by your own sort of what helped you in terms of your ptsd or was it just like a natural progression because you'd been into all that stuff in the army Yeah, it was it was kind of like a natural progression. Obviously, growing up, I was always into sports like football, boxing. Um, when I joined the army, I became a physical training instructor in the army quite early on, within the first three years of joining. So that was like my secondary role in the army to take the guys on PT, whether it be platoon, company, or the battalion itself, up to like two hundred and fifty men, uh, planning and organising that. Um, so when I left the army, it was it was summer that I was passionate. I love being outdoors and I, I, I love fitness and I love helping people overcome and achieve things that they don't think they can do physically, you know, mentally. So um, what was good for me, and I think this is why I found the transition slightly easier than most do that have served a long time in the army and been subjected to what I had, is I, I'm from Leeds and my last posting was in Harrogate. So Unless I was on exercise with the recruits, I was getting to travel home most evenings. Um, so it was like a transition. It was a smooth transition for myself, which was good. And I'd started, I'd set up SimFit 100 and with the idea of initially I was going to go into PT and corporate fitness. So I was delivering corp, corporate fitness sessions for um, businesses in and around the Leeds area, whether it be training for corporate relays or just to, you know, get the get them team building and and more active um and then from there um yeah i set up sf boot camps um which is in meanwood park and we've just been confirmed now temple news and park i also got classes in harrogate and bradford as well um and it's, uh, it's just grown really um it's just grown but it's obviously it's, it's hard work but you know, I love being outdoors, which was obviously probably comes from the army. And people are always on, what about the weather? What if it's raining? And I'm just like, after being doing the job, what I've done, when you're out in the rain for an hour, do you know, you know, you're getting to go home for a nice hot shower or a nice hot bath. So it doesn't faze me at all. You know, I think some people use it as an excuse not to trade because the weather's bad. We live in England, you know, guys. So I try and get people out and as active as I can, you know. Um, but yeah, and as a result of that, and obviously just trying to give people that, you know, clear focus, help them achieve the goals. Uh, we, we've just won, um, Cadbury's and Leeds United was doing a local hero award and Simfit was one of the winners um, for our efforts with the community and helping people through, obviously, the lockdowns, you know, keeping them focused on track and engaged in little challenges and stuff, which I think helped them massively. Um, yeah. We've had lots of letters and messages of appreciation, which is good. You know, it makes what you're doing, it makes you feel like what you're doing is having an effect when sometimes it may feel like it's not, you know. Um, I think I'd like to just finish up by asking, um, well, actually, a couple of things. What are your plans next in terms of your business? Um, and also, what would you say to anybody who's recently come out of the army might be struggling might think they might sort of have difficulties um two very different questions but yeah so first of all yeah um yeah what are your plans next for the business um the plans next for the business are ultimately like i wanted to open a studio in leeds um this year 
obviously, I think it's it's, it's going to have to. Go, it's been put on the back burner until next year. I think having spoke to my accountant, obviously, because with the lockdown and you don't know when it's going to be shut. So, um, yeah, I'm just I've just opened a new venue, which is Temple News, and I got it approved by the council council actually today. Um, so yeah, so that's a growth. Um, and then next year, um, ideally, I want to open a studio. Um, so that's the plan for the business. Um, grow the membership and obviously get some quality instructors involved, some more good instructors. Um, the plans for um, uh, what was the second question? Sorry. Yeah. So what would you say to anybody who's recently left the army um, and they're struggling in terms of their mental health? Yeah. So obviously anyone who's recent, just reach out, speak to people, um, speak to people. Um, the help is there if you want it, if you want to engage, um, don't hide away and think you can deal or manage it with it by yourself because you will slip into a dark hole, um, which can sometimes at times be difficult or people don't come out of it. You know, um, the easiest solutions to turn to alcohol but try and be stronger than that, you know, and, and speak to the guys, speak to your family and get that help that's that's out there and that's available to you. So this is goodbye from Mentally Yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from Mentally, 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 Mentally Yours. Mentally Yours. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed today, you can give the Samaritans and Ring on 116123. If you like Mentally Yours, you can also find us on Twitter. We're at MentallyYRS. We also have a lovely Facebook group, which is just called Mentally Yours. And if you really liked us, you could do us a massive favour and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's much appreciated, uh, helps us, you know, continue doing what we're doing. So please do rate and review and check back in next week for more Mentally Yours. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.